Good morning, WP Naz. How are you this morning? I see lots of smiling faces. I'm so glad to see you guys here. It is a good morning. Let's all stand together and let's just start off our morning by praising God for being here. Amen? Yeah. Amen.
microphone or if it's my, no, it wasn't me this time. So uh, usually me, but good morning, everyone. So glad that you're in church. My name is Dale, and I'm a brand new pastor here, and so I'm just excited to be with you. Um, so we're going to do something that you may or may not have ever done, but where we used to live in South Florida, we just be, this just became part of what we did because, you know, Sundays should be fun. So I'm looking for a couple of volunteers. First of all, like a fourth grader or fifth grader or a sixth grader. Do we have any of those? Boy, that would challenge that. I would challenge that. Do you guys want to come up and help me? No? I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Okay, so my first, my first go-to was make this multi-generational. If the kids are like, uh, pass. So let's, let's start then with grown-ups. Can I have two volunteers for grown-ups just, just to come up here and stand with me? Anybody? Thank you very much. Come on forward, sir. Oh, excellent. Let's give a huge round of applause for our two volunteers. Thank you. You have to think. And uh, this, we're going to play. Okay. Can I get another volunteer? I, you know, I, I can play that thing for you. Okay. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to play a uh, Independence Day trivia game. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's okay. So, so here's, here's how we're going to do it. This is going to be super easy. This is, it, when you know the answer, you're going to grab that, that eraser. And that's how I'll know who I'm going to get the question to. Yeah, just like that. And then you're going to put it back. And then we're going to give you 10 points for every answer. You may correct. We won't even take points away this morning. We're just going to give you 10 points for every answer that you get correct. All right? So let's... Let, Are they redeemable? No. So... Um, so let's, let's just try the first question. This is practice. This is practice. Are you with me? Okay. And uh, this, this is a practice question. Here we go. You have to watch the screen. Here's the practice question. Here it is. How many stars and stripes does the U.S. flag have? Is it 51, 51 and 10, 50 and 11, 50 and 13, or 51 and 9? And then somebody would grab the, uh, the, the eraser if you know the answer. How many stars and stripes does the U.S. flag have? We are in huge trouble here. Uh, okay, go ahead. Let's, let's just try it. We're just going to try it. Let's just grab it. There you go. Now, what's your answer? Can I erase it? No, just give me the answer. 50 and 13? 50 and 13, is that the answer? Yes! Oh, my gosh. Okay. I'm already beginning right now to edit my sermon back from uh, just to, for time purposes. Here we go. Uh, get, get close. You're going to want to win this because there is a huge prize for the winner. Huge. And I may be exaggerating. But, um, okay, here's the next question. On July 4th, what is the most consumed food in the U.S.? Apple pie, hamburgers, hot dogs, or ice cream? So, well, don't tell me. Grab the eraser. There we go. What is it? Hot dogs. Is it hot dogs? It is hot dogs. So we're going to have a hot dog eating contest right now. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. Michelle, you get 10 points for that one? Okay. She's got it. How are we doing out there? Are we loving this? There's only like six questions, so we'll get through this. Nobody cares about that. All right. Here we go. Which country declared independence from the U.S.? On July 4th, 1960, was it Philippines, El Salvador, Japan, or Canada? Bing! Philippines. Was it the Philippines? It is. <laughs> Woo! All right, no commiserating between the teams. 
Here we go. This is a hardcore uh, contest here. It's 20 to nothing. Tim, you're going you're gonna to get killed. Here we go. Who said, give me liberty or give me death? Is it George Washington, Patrick Henry, John Werler, or Alexander Hamilton? Who is it? Bing! Oh, almost. Be brave. Be brave. Be brave. Grab it. Grab it. There you go. George Washington. Is it George Washington? No. Patrick Henry. 20, 0 still. It's okay. It's okay. Look, we get points for bravery here. Good job. Here we go. How many versions of the U.S. flag have there been? 3, 10, 27, or 18? How many versions of the U.S. flag have there been? Somebody just take a guess. We can't be here all day. Excellent. 10. Is it 10? No, it's 27. There have been 27 flags. That's right. You think being American's easy. It's not. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Who was the first person to sign the Declaration of Independence? Paul Revere, John Hancock, George Washington, or Ben Franklin? Bing! John Hancock. Is it John Hancock? It is. And I can't even remember my name. That's okay. That, that's not prerequisite for this game. You're doing good. Here we are. Where does the nation's oldest 4th of July parade take place? Is it Cleveland Columbia, Boston, or Bristol, Rhode Island? Bing! Boston. Is it Boston, Massachusetts? No, it's Bristol. I know. Cindy was back here. Bristol, Bristol, Bristol. That's in Rhode Island. It's one of our 50 states. Yes. See, we try and help everybody here. This is church. Okay, here we go. How many U.S. presidents have died? On July the 4th, one, zero, three, or seven? Bing! One. One. No, it's three. Three. And if I were smart, I would tell you who they are, but I don't know who they are. But I do, but I don't remember. All right, here we go. We're going to keep going. Uh, how many towns in the U.S. have their name Liberty in their name? Is it 1,000, 9, 13,000, or 31? How many towns in the U.S. have the name Liberty in their name. Any guesses for the eraser? No. I guess 31. 31. It is 31. Way to go. Way to go. Way to go. All right. So uh, the score, 20 to 10. Thank you for your help. You didn't win, but you did. You get a Starbucks car. I think there's like nine bucks on there. So you and I get to go out to coffee. Thank you. Thank you very much. You guys are dismissed for have that. That's awesome. What a great crowd. Thank you for your support in uh, making this a fun morning. So a couple things just before we get going on in worship. Um, we have a few birthdays. We don't get to do this every week, but, um, but certainly this week is a big weekend. Um, so our oldest member is here with us. Um, I'm going to ask her to run up here and jump up on the stage. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's not going to happen. But wave to us. There you are. She's 99. 99, her name? Ronnie. Ronnie. Thank you for being here, Ronnie. And I think there are two more birthdays. Patrick, it's your birthday too, yeah? yeah? And then there's one more. Frank, your birthday? It's Frank's birthday. So happy birthday. Happy birthday. Uh, who knew that you could have so much fun in church, right? So um, it, it's at this point in the service I'm going to release the kids, yes? 
And so if you're in kindergarten through fifth, well, and all the kids are going to be released, but today's the first day that our kindergartners through fifth graders are going all the way downstairs. So there are grown-ups, I think, in the back to help them walk back. The lady with the flag, there she is. So kids, you're dismissed to go downstairs. It was great having you with us. And the last announcement that I'll have before we continue on with worship is that um, July 23rd, in just a few weeks, um, will be a, a, a potluck dinner that we'll all share together. And I think if you are on our email list, you got an email reminding you about that. Would you go ahead and sign up to help? That would be helpful to those who are planning this uh, to, to, to put it together. But I think A through M is main dish, and then something else is, is uh, a side, and then something else after that is dessert. So those of you who are on the dessert, don't forget. I'm just telling you that right now, all right? <laughs> all right. We're going to ask the yesers to prepare to come forward. We are uh, delighted to have you with, with us in worship this morning and glad that you could come and choose to spend, you know, an hour or so with us worshiping God. Um, for those of you who give um, consistently, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's what uh, helps keep things going around here. If you've not jumped on the bandwagon to give back to God, today could be a great day just to begin giving back to Him out of uh, what He has given to you. Uh, we're, we're excited about what happens when we open our hands up and allow God to take what we have, and He multiplies it and He makes it. Uh, go all over the world in ministry. And so um, one, one quick thing is if you, if you read your, your weekend handout, you'll notice we're already starting out short for this year. So just be aware of that. Those of you who are holding out your money, don't. Let's, let's be generous givers to the Lord. Can I pray? And then we'll take this morning's tithes and offering. Father God, we're thankful for the opportunity to be here and worship you. And it takes effort and energy to get up out of bed and to make it to your house. And so, God, I would pray that you would bless those who make that effort. Speak to them. Some of us, oh God, come this morning with a heavy heart. There are lots of things going on in, in their world, and, and, and it's just a struggle to even um, operate. Would you bless them this morning? Would you remind them of who's in charge of the universe and that you never slumber and that you were always for them? So, God, watch over those today. Be with those, oh Lord who are giving sacrificially. Be with those, oh God, who are, who are um, just getting started giving to the church. Would you help them to build that trust with you and with the church that as they give of their resources, that you would take it and multiply it and move it all over the world as you minister to those who call you king and to those who have yet to, to um, submit to your authority in their life. We pray, oh God, that you would bless our tithes and, and, and offerings this morning. And we pray this, Christ, in your name today.
am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. Amen. Oh, man, God is good. We were at District Assembly this week. We got a little taste of what the throne room is going to be like. You guys know I like it in the throne room, right? I love it in there. Oh, man. Dr. Askren took a moment at the end of the service on Thursday night, and he had all the lead pastors stand around the outside of Springs First New Sanctuary, which is a big one. And they stood there, and they each were given a bottle of anointing oil. He took that time, and people walked over and got prayed over. And it was thick in the room with the Holy Spirit. You could not walk through it. I was in my chair crying the whole time. And it was beautiful. And that's God's people. And that's what we do. We pray for each other. We seek him out. And then we sit in his presence. And it was a beautiful time. The next song we're going to sing is about the throne room. And I love it because it reminds us, listen to this. It says, memorized by every heart. Your heart has memorized things that you don't even know yet just because you know Jesus. It's written in eternity. And every lifted voice is a part. So you are a part of it. No matter what, you're not going to be able to stand still. You're not going to be able to sit back and possibly be shy. You are going to want to be right there with him. And then we're all going to join in a symphony. Now, I don't know if you've all heard symphonies. I know that we've got Gary that's in the symphony. It's beautiful when all those things come together and they sing and they play. We're all going to be part of that great symphony. And we're going to sing songs we've never known before. So I'm excited for that. Are you? Amen. So let's just continue to worship a mighty God that we get to stand before right now and stand in his throne room and know who he is and trust him with our hearts because he loves us.
being here this morning, Lord. What an honor it is that we get to step into your throne room. We 
tell you how much we love you. Lord, you are good. You are mighty. You are the Alpha, the Omega. Lord, don't ever let us forget how big you are. Lord, I thank you for your presence here. I thank you for Holy Spirit being here this morning, walking up and down these aisles and touching each person. I thank you for what you're going to do. I thank you for being a God that's in control. I thank you for the way that you love us, Lord. I am grateful, Father, that you allow us to come in to that most special place of your throne room. Not only do we get to sit there, but we get to sit at your feet. Lord, I thank you for the way that you're moving. I thank you that there is nothing that you don't see. There's nothing you don't hear. And Lord, I thank you for the fact that you are in this room with us and each individual life that's represented here, Lord. Some are going through tough stuff. wrap your arms around them and let them feel your presence here. I ask you to come in more, Holy Spirit, that you feel welcome here to move among us. And as the word is getting ready to be preached, Lord, I pray that you will guard these doors, guard these people, and our pastors, and that this place is holy ground because you are here. Lord, we love you. We thank you for what you're going to teach us this morning, how you're going to move in our, the deepest parts of our hearts. I pray we're teachable, Lord Jesus. I pray that we won't leave here the same. That, Lord, you will take your word and bury it in us and start growing it immediately. And I pray that as we walk through this week, we recall what you're teaching us and we act on it. I pray that we are bold believers, that we tell people about you, we, we tell them boldly about you, but Lord, I pray we love boldly. You are a good, good Father. Thank you for being with us this morning, Lord. I pray that you will be with Pastor Dale as he brings your word. Lord Jesus, we love you. And all God's people said, Amen. Seventeen seventy six. A dream was birthed from the pens of our founding fathers. A big dream. A dream so dangerous to the world that it needed to be protected. A dream that all people are created equal may not have been perfect, but we still strived and reached for a more united union because democracy compels us to dream. We are a nation founded on radical ideas of freedom and peace and the pursuit of happiness. This is not a static nation. This is a living, breathing country stretched and pulled and pushed in different directions, but at the core is freedom, because democracy necessitates freedom. 
We may not be perfect, but we press on to correct the wrongs and injustices that exist because democracy requires justice for all. May we always remember that democracy was forged in the furnace of sacrifice. And a democracy whose people don't sacrifice is no democracy at all. Because democracy requires sacrifice. So today, we celebrate our great nation. We pray that our hearts would be turned to God and that he would continue to pour out his blessing on us. We celebrate our freedoms and remember our missteps, all to honor the great and dangerous dream that we are one nation under God, indivisible, pursuing liberty and justice for all. Well, happy July 4th weekend, everybody. And uh, one thing that I uh, neglected to mention to you is that this coming uh, week and into the, the weekend, uh, there will be 10,000 uh, Nazarene students gathering um, in NYC 2023 in Tampa, Florida. And we do have a student from our church that's going. Daniel Garcia is going. And so let me just put a, put, a, put a request to you and you and you. You pray this week for our teenagers. You, you, you probably know uh, what's going on in the world today. And, and you watch the news and you have children and you know uh, what they're facing. And so this weekend as they gather and they hear um, speakers and they, they worship God and they sing and they have a great time learning all about what's coming up with them in the culture and how to battle with that um, in terms of faith. Would you just pray that God moves in a mighty way? And we began praying probably a year ago for NYC students. But um, in earnest, our district began praying sometime about a month, month and a half ago. Praying that God would begin, well, I shouldn't even say begin, that God would continue to call young men and young women into ministry. And so that's really what we're going to be praying for, is that God would move in a mighty way in Tampa, Florida, that kids would hear from Jesus and that their lives would be changed. And I can tell by the looks on your faces, you're into this. So would you pray with me uh, for, for them this coming weekend? All right. Hey, July 4th. Um, is a very special uh, holiday for us, for, 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 for me and for Michelle, really. Um, but but it's, it's one of the important ones for me. Um, like many of you, I'm a patriot. I'm uh, not a patriot because I think that America has it all figured out, because we, we don't. And it's not because I think that America um, is better than any of the other countries because we're probably not better in terms of humanity. And, and it's not because we deserve special blessings from God. We, we don't. I love America because, at least on paper, we have a set of beliefs and philosophies that ring true in, in, in my heart. And I believe that as a result of those beliefs and those creeds and those values, I, I believe that we have luxuries that many, many, many other nations don't have. 
And I know that you can see that when you watch TV or in the movies, but if you've never been to another country that's not America, (laughs) wow, we have it good here. These luxuries remain in place because of the brave men and women who volunteered, and some I know were voluntold, but they were, they were put into harm's way to defend our way of life. And most of the men and women came back from armed conflict. Many didn't come back. All who returned home were somehow different because of what they endured protecting these United States of America. And I'm thankful. They fought in our place. And we all owe a debt that has never been asked to be returned. I I highly respect men and women in the military because two of the most important people in the world to me wear a military uniform. This is, um, if I can get this to work, there he is. This is Petty Officer Second Class Butler. He serves on a ballistic nuclear submarine in the United States Navy. This is First Lieutenant Butler. He flies one of those in the United States Army. And that's all I can tell you about them and still maintain operational security. But these two go to work every day, along with nearly a million and a half others, as part of a fence that guard what we do, what we have, and who we are. And they stand at the watch so that you and I don't have to. And we owe a debt that has never been asked to be returned. All of that. All of that is because... 56 brave souls put their name on a declaration of independence from the crown of England. It was actually on July the 2nd that they, that they did that. It was published on the 4th and then ratified by the majority of them sometime in August. So you can celebrate today. It's okay. Those 56 were all inspired to do what they did, to stand up for what they believed, to put their money where their mouth was, because of the impact of one man. The one man whose symbolic cross we hang on our wall there, and many other churches do as well. The the one man that we sing to and sing about every Sunday. The one man whose billions have pledged their allegiance to. And I'm not saying that those 56 men were all Christians. We don't really have evidence of that. But I would guarantee you that they were all influenced at least by the others who were Christian. Men like Patrick Henry. He's a famous statesman of colonial Virginia. He's got quite a bio. I'd like to read you a little bit about him. In 1764, he was elected to the Virginia House of Burgesses, where he became a champion for the frontier people. He was supportive of their rights against the arrogant exercise of power by the aristocracy. 1774, he was a delegate to the First Continental Congress. In 1775, before the Virginia Provincial Convention, 
which was deeply divided between those who supported England and those who desired freedom, he came up with his most famous words. You ready? Give me liberty or you paid attention in high school history. During the Revolutionary War, he became commander-in-chief of Virginia's military forces. He was a member of the Second Continental Congress. He helped draw the first constitution of the Commonwealth of Virginia and was primarily responsible for drawing up the amendments to our Constitution. We know them as the Bill of Rights. He became Virginia's first governor. And he was re-elected three more times. After that, he retired from public life. But despite his strong objections, the people went ahead and elected him a governor for a fifth time anyway. To which, being a man of his word, he said no. Imagine that. He was offered a seat in the U.S. Senate and posts as ambassadors to Spain and to France. President George Washington asked him to join his cabinet and become the Secretary of State. And he also later wanted to appoint him the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. All of those refused by Patrick Henry. He was an influential and respected leader in those days when our nation came into being. And I want you to hear his words this morning. It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. His last will and testament was filed in the Brookneal County Courthouse in Virginia. If you were to go there and find his will and read it, You'll see that he bequeathed everything that he had to his children, as most of you will do. But the last paragraph is especially telling about Patrick Henry. I have now given everything I own to my children. There is one more thing I wish to give them, and that is Christ. If they have everything that I give to them and have not Christ, they have nothing. And Patrick Henry wasn't the only one. The impact of Jesus Christ on our founding fathers and on the documents they created that guide our nation today is very easy to recognize. It's not hard to find God's thumbprints all over. But America wasn't born a Christian nation. Follow me. It was founded on ideals and principles and values that match Christianity. It was carved out by men and women who lived their lives as followers of Jesus. But they knew that politics and religion don't mix. Too good. The earliest settlers to what had become America had emigrated here because their government had begun to fuse politics and religion. And so our founding fathers didn't want to make the same mistakes. And so... They drafted policies that would keep America from becoming a Christian, a Christian nation. And instead, they wanted a nation of Christians. Or not. Because they wanted us to have the right to choose. The Establishment Clause to the First Amendment of our Constitution reads this way. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. There should be not a formal blend of the church and the state. It goes on to say that there should be no prohibition the free or of the free exercise or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. The establishment clause says government should never blend with religion and that government should never ban religion. 
The holiday that we observe this week is, is, for, is for everyone who loves freedom. This Independence Day celebrates political freedom. But I want to talk to you about a whole different level of freedom that exists. It's the kind of freedom that compelled America's founding fathers to dream up and design our great country the way that they did. It's what pushed them to do what they did. But this other freedom isn't political, and it's not partisan, and, and it, it is, is not partial to any group or demographic or socioeconomic standing. And as a matter of fact, this freedom goes out of its way to make sure that everybody, everyone, is loved and cared for and offered freedom and justice for all. And sometimes I worry. Sometimes I get concerned. Generally speaking, the Christians have taken their eye off the ball, which is why we're having some of the challenges that we're having in America today. And I found a video that I want to show you regarding justice and how justice, how we have picked up on that idea of justice as Christians, how God has given us that ideal. I want you to watch it. And then we've got a few more things I want to talk to you about. If you were a praying mantis, it would be socially acceptable to devour your mate. And if you're a honey badger, you have no regard for other animals. You don't care. If you're a panda with twins, it's normal to abandon one to take care of the other. But if humans do any of these things, we would call it wrong, unfair, or unjust. Yeah, why is that? Why do humans care so much about justice? Well, the Bible has a fascinating response to that question. On page one, humans are set apart from all other creatures as the image of God. Yeah, God's representatives who rule the world by his definition of good and evil. And this identity, it's the bedrock of the Bible's view of justice. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter who you are. And that would be nice if we all did that. But we know how the world really works. And the Bible addresses that too. It shows how we are constantly redefining good and evil to our own advantage at the expense of others. Yeah, self-preservation. And the weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of them. And so in the biblical story, we see this happening on a personal level, but also in families and then in communities and in whole civilizations that create injustice, especially towards the vulnerable. But the story doesn't end there. Out of this whole mess, God chose a man named Abraham to start a new kind of family. Specifically, Abraham was to teach his family to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Yeah, doing righteousness, that's a Bible word I don't really use, but what comes to mind is being a good person. But what does that even mean, being good? The biblical Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah, and it's more specific. It's an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. It's about treating others as the image of God. With the God-given dignity they deserve. And this word justice, it's the Hebrew word mishpat. It can refer to retributive justice. Like if I steal something, I pay the consequences. Exactly. Yet most often in the Bible, mishpat refers to restorative justice. It means going a step further, actually seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them. Yeah, some people call this charity. But mishpat involves way more. It means taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social structures to prevent injustice. So justice and righteousness are about a radical, selfless way of life. Yeah, and you find this idea all over the Bible. Like... Here, in the book of Proverbs, 
What does it mean to bring about just righteousness? Open your mouth for those who can't speak for themselves. And what do these words mean for the prophets, like Jeremiah? Rescue the disadvantaged and don't tolerate oppression or violence against the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. And like here, look in the book of Psalms. The Lord God upholds justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, and sets the prisoner free. But he thwarts the way of the wicked. Whoa, he thwarts the wicked? Yeah, in Hebrew, the word wicked is rasha. It means guilty or in the wrong. It refers to someone who mistreats another human, ignoring their dignity as an image of God. So justice and righteousness is a big deal to God. Yes, it's what Abraham's family, the Israelites, were to be all about. They ended up as immigrant slaves, being oppressed unjustly in Egypt. And so God confronted Egypt's evil, declaring them to be rasha, guilty of injustice. And so he rescued Israel. But the tragic irony of the Old Testament story is that these redeemed people went on to commit the same acts of injustice against the vulnerable. And so God sent prophets who declared Israel guilty. But they weren't the only ones. There's injustice everywhere. Yeah, some people actively perpetrate injustice. Others receive benefits or privileges from unjust social structures they take for granted. And sadly, history has shown that when the oppressed gain power, they often become oppressors themselves. So we all participate in injustice, actively or passively, even unintentionally. We're all the guilty ones. And so this is the surprising message of the biblical story. God's response to humanity's legacy of injustice is to give us a gift, the life of Jesus. He did righteousness and justice, and yet he died on behalf of the guilty. But then God declared Jesus to be the righteous one when he rose from the dead. And so now Jesus offers his life to the guilty so that they too can be declared righteous before God, not because of anything they've done, but because of what Jesus did for them. The earliest followers of Jesus experienced this righteousness from God, not just as a new status, but as a power that changed their lives and compelled them to act in surprising new ways. Yeah, if God declared someone righteous when they didn't deserve it, the only reasonable response is to go and seek righteousness and justice for others. This is a radical way of life, and it's not always convenient or easy. It's courageously making other people's problems my problems. This is what Jesus meant by loving your neighbor as yourself. It's about a lifetime commitment fueled by the words of the ancient prophet Micah. God has told you, humans, what is good and what the Lord requires of you is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. See, this, this freedom, justice too. It's offered to us from, from God, not from the Pledge of Allegiance. But this freedom must be fought for. But you may be surprised to find out just who it is that we have to fight with to keep it. We're, we're told by the media that we have to fight each other. That we have to draw up sides and, and pit the Republicans versus the Democrats and, and we have to fight in a battle to the death to maintain our freedom. And I think, I know, that Jesus offers a different view. 
the, the Apostle Paul from the Bible had a great vantage point on this. He had a great look at this. Before he became Paul the Apostle, he was Saul, the Pharisee. Paul, or Saul as a Pharisee was an expert in devotion to religious law. That's what Pharisees were. They were devoted greatly to religious law. And when Paul met Jesus, everything changed. Everything changed for him. Changed his name, where he put his hope, where he put his trust in Jesus and not the law. His passions changed. His livelihood changed. Everything changed. And as he traveled around, he would preach and teach. He would disciple people and he would start churches. And then he would write letters to these churches and to those who he loved so dearly. He wrote them to help them keep going in the way of Christ. And those letters were saved. They were gathered together, they were compiled together, and they're included in the New Testament of our Bible. Depending on how you do your math, almost two-thirds of the entire New Testament comes from Paul. And in the book of Galatians, which is the letter that Paul was writing to the church that he began in Galatia, in that um, letter, Paul speaks directly to the freedom that we talked about earlier. That the, the, not the political freedom that we were discussing, but, but, but the spiritual freedom that Jesus Christ made available to us. Freedom from sin and freedom for love. Here's how Paul begins in Galatians 5, verse 1. So Christ has truly set us free. Free from sin, the um, the death sentence that we had, the, 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 the penalty that sin gives us, the guilt, the condemnation, Christ has truly set us free. And he goes on. He says, now make sure that you stay free and that you don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. It would seem that once we're free, there's always a possibility that we could be in jeopardy of not being free. And the subject of this potential non-freedom is the law. Not maybe the kind of law that you think of when, when I mention the word law, not attorneys and courtrooms and Congress kinds of law. Paul is talking about religiosity law, politics, or policies rather, that we put in place that move us away from what Jesus determined to be necessary in order for us to follow him and more toward keeping rules. I, I, I noticed this week I, I found a, a, a checklist of, of uh, um, things that, that signs that you might be legalistic. You read your Bible to get a check mark rather than to meet with God. A legalist does it just to say, I did it. Your spiritual disciplines define your spirituality. You refuse to forgive although you've been forgiven. You judge others before you listen to them. 
you justify yourself by comparing yourself to others. You need, you feel the need to point out somebody else's sin publicly. There's more, but you can find that article yourself. Paul is talking about this idea that we can somehow come to know Christ and yet fall into the trap of turn returning to the law. And instead of um, following Jesus' pattern of what He requires for following Him, we set up all of these rules. And for you rule followers, I know this is, this is hard. It's hard work. It's hard work for those who are rule keepers. You need rules to follow. You need a checklist to, to check. You need something or someone to tell you what to do or not to do or it just doesn't work. Things come undone. Things unravel. Things break down if you don't have rules. And I just want to admonish you. I just want to encourage you. Stop doing that. Grow up spiritually. Jesus came to free us from keeping rules. And if this seems counterintuitive to you, just hold on. Stay with me. Don't throw anything at me yet. Jesus came to free us from keeping rules. Now, notice what I did not say. I did not say that Jesus came to create a free-for-all. Hey, I, I can do whatever I want. He still loves me. Hey, I can be whatever I want. I can be whoever I want to be. I didn't say that. No, that's, that's not what I said. Jesus came to give us freedom to love him with all of our heart and our mind and our soul and our body and our strength. And if you stay close to Jesus, he will change you. It will become daily less of you and more of him. And here's what happens if you, fall, if you stay on track. You love God with all of those things. It will shape you. It will shape us if we follow closely into being able to love those around us. Even those we don't like very much. Even those we, we don't agree with. Even those who we don't have anything in common with. And, and, and if we could figure this out, if we could, could somehow come to grips with this, I, I think, I, I, I'm willing to go out on a ledge here and say, I believe that the report from the 2023 Colorado Nazarene District Assembly meeting would be different. If we could figure out what Paul is trying to talk to us about Jesus here, I think our, our report for the year would look different. You might be thinking to yourself, hey, PD, I didn't go to the 2023 Colorado District. I don't, I don't know what that report you're talking about. Uh, well, I brought it for you, at least part of it. So a man by the name of Jeff Alexander, who I, I know Jeff from back in the days when I was a youth pastor at Westminster Church. He attends that church. And um, Jeff is now ordained. He got ordained this weekend. But Jeff's a brilliant man. He was an engineer. And our, our own Dr. Reeder, who, who is the director of all of USA and Canada ministry, he plucked him out of Westminster. And now Jeff is working for Dr. Reeder in research and development and, and statistics and all those kinds of things for ministry in the, in the USA Canada. And they did a study over the course of the last few years, and they compiled the data for 2023 on the Nazarene Church in America, and this is, this is, he pulled the statistics for Colorado, and here's how we've been doing. Um, year over year comparisons are really showing us a picture. Morning worship in 2021 was just over 380,000. In 2022, 
just over 360,000. You don't have to be a mathematician to see where we're going with this. Um, a COVID transition drop of about 7% across USA, or I'm sorry, across Canada, Colorado, sorry. And the continuation of a 17-year decline resulting in a loss, 31.4% in church, in the Nazarene denomination. And all of God's people said, amen. I'm kidding. And then he goes on to talk about an aging clergy, which is not applicable because I'm not aging. But I think, maybe, maybe I'd be willing to go out and say, I, I, I know. That if we could figure out what Paul is talking about, what the Spirit is trying to do among us and in us and through us, I think that, I believe that things would change. Hear this, contrary to what most people believe, the decline of church attendance, the falling off of new converts, the decay of morality, ethics, and values, the deterioration of America isn't because of what's going on out there. At some point, we're going to have to entertain the possibility that maybe, just, just maybe, there's something else going on that we're not paying attention to. Some of you, uh, those of you who, who um, like world history, you, you may know the name um, Julian. He was a, 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 an emperor in Rome in the 4th century. Julian was the, the nephew of um, Constantine. Uh, Julian was not a nice man. As a matter of fact, he, he didn't like Christianity. That's probably a lighthearted statement. He hated Christianity. He hated Christianity so much that he got the nickname Julian the Apostate. And as I mentioned, his uncle Constantine, just a generation prior to that, had made Christianity legal. And so that's one of the reasons, if you study church history, it's one of the reasons why the church was able to expand worldwide was because God did a work in Constantine, and Constantine said, okay, we're not going to kill Christians anymore uh, as part of a government operation, and, and, and the gospel grew. And, and because of that, his nephew, Julian, hated Christianity, and he, he loathed the idea of it spreading, and he was doing everything he could to stamp out Christianity. He was irritated by the growth and spread of Christianity. And, and the word is that he would go to his governors and say to them, this government needs to do more for the people because the Christians are outshining us in blessing their communities. That doesn't sound like a problem the government has today. I don't recall ever hearing a, a government official saying, we need, to do work, we need to do harder work at loving our community because the church is killing it out there. You guys get busy blessing your communities. It's no longer an issue with the government because at some point we lost a step. Christianity, Christians worldwide abandoned that lifestyle and the world has suffered because of it. And here we are. The Apostle Paul tells us that the true battle for freedom isn't out there. It's, it's in here. We want to blame somebody or something else for our, for, for our freedoms being taken away. Listen, we don't have to look far for the real culprit. Here's what Paul says later on in the, in the fifth chapter of, of Galatians. He says this, For you've been called to live in freedom, church, Christian. You've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but... 
don't let your freedom to satisfy, don't, don't use your freedom, don't allow your freedom to satisfy what? Everybody else's whims? No, your sinful nature. You've been called to live in freedom, my friends, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your wants, your nature, your sin nature. And what Paul is doing here is that he is warning us that the real enemy is internal. It's in here. It's your sinful nature. My sinful nature is the problem here. And if there's anything to go to war with, (laughs) it's us. And in the church of the Nazarene and in holiness churches everywhere, this is what we talk about. We talk about sanctification. And that's another sermon for another day. But Paul's admonition is to leverage our freedom, not to indulge what satisfies you or what satisfies me and our base instincts. Paul is admonishing, admonishing us to use the freedom that we have in Christ to serve and love one another. Not just your best friends, not just those you agree with, but all of mankind. Serve one another in love. How come you keep going back to that, PD? How come you keep talking about that? Well, because Paul talked about that an awful lot. And why did Paul talk about that an awful lot? Because Jesus talked about that an awful lot. We need to stop trying to win fights and love people like Jesus did. Because... Here's, we're going to turn third and head home here. Because if and when that happens, it will become very, very difficult for those who are far from Jesus to deny the effect of Jesus on those who cross paths with them. Amen, PD. I know, it's good work. If you have freedom... If you have the freedom that God has given you, if you have spiritual freedom, your job and and my job is to show the world what that means. Thank you. I looked for somebody who could speak into this and I found a gentleman who understands what it means to not have freedom and then to have it again. He had it and he lost it and he got it back. I won't tell you the whole story, but there's a gentleman by the name of Nelson Mandela. He was in prison for 27 years, primarily because he was black. He was freed, and he came out with, with a, a statement that I want to kind of leave you with, and then we'll, then, we'll, then we'll move forward. But this is what Nelson Mandela said. He said, for to be free is not merely to cast off one's chains. Let's hang on for that a second. Stop reading. To be free is not merely to cast off one's change. It doesn't mean that you get free and now that's freedom. But to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of others around you. It's really what God talked about when he began talking about justice. We're looking constantly. The radar is, is open for looking for people who are suffering who are struggling. It's our job, our job, Christian, to be dispensers and living out the example of what God has done for us, our justice and our freedom from God spilling out over others. Amen, Pastor. I know. It's a good word. It's a hard word. But it's a, it's a good one. Freedom. 
spiritual freedom upon which all other freedoms stem from. I'll say that again. Spiritual freedom is the, is the concept that all other freedoms stem from. Must be fought for. But that fight is probably not with whom or with what you think it is. It's in here. Can I pray with you as the band climbs back up in? We're going to sing one more song together. Lord, you specialize in speaking right where we live, into the hearts and minds of those who are discerning what it is that you would speak to us about and what it is that you want to work on us about and who you want us to become. You specialize in that. And you've given us your word so that we'll have a roadmap that we can look and see what it is that you're trying to communicate. And via your Holy Spirit, we're given the ability to, to read and discern and discuss it with those who are like-minded and like-hearted, and we can begin to have a, a, a dialogue over what it is that God is trying to do, what you are trying to do in the world today with, with our hands and our feet. And right at the top of that list is love and justice and freedom for all. And so, God, this, this week, as we, as a, as a nation, as we celebrate our political freedom, would you just remind us of the responsibility that you've placed on us as Christians, as children of the King, to be bell ringers for spiritual freedom. And not just a mouthpiece that talks about freedom, but literally hands and feet, gloves on, getting into the weeds with helping those who may be locked up in spiritual despair. Those who have been overrun by so many problems that they can't even see ahead. And you may have been talking to them or, or, or with them for some time, but life has become so burdensome and, and, and it would be just like you to place one of us in their path to love them, to spend time with them, nurture them, encourage them, pray with them, pray for them, and maybe get the opportunity as your spirit leads to lead them to you. Help us, O oh God, to be people of freedom and justice for all. In the name of Christ, who gave his all for our freedom, we ask these things today. Amen. Would you stand with me? Thank you. 
addiction starts to break. Life, oh, there is 
God's spirit would fill this place, and I believe that he is honored that. Thank you, Lord, for coming. Thank you, Lord, for being here with us. Thank you, Lord, for doing all that you've done. There's a couple down here that's praying. If, if you're a Christian and you know them, you may want to come pray with them. But I'm going to say a benediction, and then we can go. May God bless you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you, even though we don't deserve that. May he turn his face toward you, and may he give you not only freedom, and not only justice, but peace that passes all of our understanding, that we can take with us wherever we go, the peace of God that passes our own ability to function and reason and make sense of things. May he drop on you his peace today. God bless you as you go. Thank you for coming this morning. Have a great week ahead. One quick thing as you make your way out. If I could get some strong men to help me carry a couple of desks out of my office, I would really appreciate that. Um, if, if you have to go, go. But, but I could use some of your muscles because, you know, mine are deteriorating. God bless you. she's known is falling apart a fatherless home a child's broken heart you're holding her hand you're straining for words you're trying to make sense of it all she's desperate for hope darkness clouding her view she's love her like Jesus, carry her to him, his yoke is easy, his burden is light, you don't need the answers to all of life's questions, just know that he loves her, stay by her side.